0: Thanks for listening to the Yahoo Finance podcast. Recently, our editor-in-chief, Andy Serwer, sat down with the CEO of HBO, Richard Plepler. Enjoy.
1: I'm joined by Richard Plepler, chairman and CEO of HBO. Richard, thanks for being here. Pleasure, Andy. Nice to be here. So let's talk about the news. First of all, there's talk of a possible merger combination between 21st Century Fox and Disney. What does that say about the current state of the media business? Why all this talk?
0: Look, I think if you're Disney and you have announced plans to advance your streaming service going forward, you want to try to get as much content as you possibly can um, to turbocharge that undertaking in 2019. So obviously that's what they're thinking about. Now, there's myriad regulatory issues that would need to be considered. I think the early reporting on this is very perfunctory, so I think we need to wait and see. But that clearly the theory of the case is... Get as many movies as you can in one place and um, as much content that you can uh, uh, own and control and turbo your, uh, your streaming service. That's obviously what they're thinking about.
1: Now, when you see a speculative, somewhat speculative news story like that, I mean, there were talks, but the combination's far off. Do you think about how that would impact HBO right away? Not, not on a
0: specific example like that. HBO... Um, has been thinking long and hard over the last decade about where we want to be a decade from now. So we've been making strategic decisions over the last six, seven years that we think position us very advantageously going out to the next decade and beyond. The reason we chose to build a standalone streaming service is because we saw it as necessary and additive to our current business. And It was pretty clear to us that as the broadband-only universe grew, when we made the choice to do it, there were probably 5 million or so broadband-only homes in the United States. As you and I sit here today, there's close to 20 million broadband-only homes in the United States. Our digital business is growing. We wanted to have the ability to reach those consumers who only had a broadband subscription. Now, we always argued, and I think the proof is in the pudding here, that that was not going to cannibalize our traditional business in the cable industry, in the satellite industry, and in the telco industry. And our growth proves that that's true. We've just expanded the pie and we've given consumers more and more options to get HBO. So we are on track for our biggest growth year of subscriber revenue in our history. And I think that's because we built a multilateral growth mechanism for consumers.
1: Now, how have you been able to expand that broadband customer base while maintaining good relations with your cable partners?
0: Absolutely, because we saw an opportunity to hit an expansive market out there in the consumer base. We understood that there were easily another 20 million or so homes that we could reach. And what we said to our traditional partners was, look, they're there. Our data is clear about that. And when you explain to people the value proposition in an HBO subscription, the amount of library that's in there, the amount of movies that are in there, four Hollywood studios, first pay window, all of our terrific original programming across multiple categories. And then you give people the option to get those programs where, how, and when they want on whatever devices. We said to our partners, let's go get those together. And so it wasn't going to preclude our ability to use a broadband-only service to do that. In fact, they could join us if they wanted in doing that. Many of our partners have a a plethora of broadband-only customers. So our, our argument to them is bundle us there as well. So we think there's growth in the hills everywhere, and we've made that case to all of our partners. We want to incentivize them to grow, and we want to give our consumers as many options as possible to get hbo whenever they want it
1: let's go back to media mergers richard hbo of course part of time warner time warner looking to combine with at&t that deal has been pending for a while there have been some questions about whether it will go through or not recently what's your take on where that stands will it go through
0: I think so. I think, you know, there's, as you well know, Andy, there has never been a case uh, of a vertical merger not going through. And I don't think there's any uh, legal theory that I've heard. I'm not an antitrust lawyer, but people who are experts in that field have, uh, have made pretty clear, I think, uh, publicly that uh, there is no antitrust case against the merger. So for us, um, I think it's an interesting opportunity. You know, they have an enormous amount of data um, with with their mobile customers um, that I think would help us not only market our product, but reach new subscribers. So we're excited about it, and um, my expectation is, uh, is that it will go through.
1: Let's talk about content. Um, some say there's no barrier to entry, particularly since there's so much liquidity Out and so many people and companies looking to get in the business, Amazon spending billions, Netflix, Hulu, you guys spend a lot of money. How do you compete here, Richard? And what specifically is your content strategy versus those competitors? Look,
0: what we say over and over again, we have to define success correctly. And we say more is not better, only better is better. It is you define your brand correctly. Our brand is the curation of excellence. And whatever category we choose, documentaries, miniseries, half hour, late night, drama, our own original movies, we want our program to be outstanding. And I think we have a pretty good track, we're not perfect, but we have a pretty good track record uh, of batting very, very high average of high quality programming. That is a virtuous cycle because what happens is talent understands that when you come inside the four walls of HBO, you're not only going to have great creative partners, but your product is going to be, your work is going to be marketed and promoted with a kind of bespoke attention that I think it's well understood is pretty unique to HBO. So the key for us is attracting the best talent. And if you just look at your own experience, look at your own life, you can't follow all of the content that's out there. There's just too much of it. It's been widely reported. There's probably about 500 hours of scripted programming being produced. So what does that mean? It means that brands matter more than ever. Right. You want to know when you come to HBO, you are going to come into an entertainment environment and you are likely going to see something, hopefully a range of things that you love, and that you become addicted to. So what we think about over and over again is making sure that we're playing our game, that we're working with the best writers, the best producers, the best directors, and we're making the kind of programming, Big Little Lies, The Night Of, Westworld, uh, Silicon Valley, Veep, uh, obviously Game of Thrones, John Oliver, Bill Maher, Curb Your Enthusiasm. We want to make the kind of programming that everybody understands is top rate quality. And so we're not about, do we have the most? We're about, do we have outstanding work being produced across, across a wide range of genres? If we keep doing that, we're serving the consumer because they know when they come inside our four walls, they're going to get something special. I think the proof is in the pudding that that strategy is working pretty well because we're growing and we're expanding uh, not only here, but all over the
1: world. Do you think that your shows, you spend more per show than the competitors? In other words, the competitors have to have a peanut butter strategy and have a lot of programming building up a volume, a library. No, that listen. I spend more. Don't don't get confused about cost per
0: hour, mm-hmm. because some shows. It, what you really also want to look at, right, is the net cost per hour. So if you have a show like Game of Thrones, expensive, with, where where the the gross cost is expensive, mm-hmm. but you look at the way, remember we own the vast preponderance of all of our programming, so we can monetize that across a lot of different. Uh, parts of our business, home video, international. So Thrones actually nets down uh, to a profit for us. And the truth is, we're not looking at, to spend the most. It's not about, are you spending $8 million an hour? Are you spending $7 million an hour? It's about, are you executing on the creative vision of the artists and the auteurs that you are working with? Veep is not the most expensive show we produce, but it is a superb example, a quintessential example of an HBO show. And so what we think about is making sure that we're working with people who are going to deliver on our shared vision of what quality is. We keep doing that. I think you see time and time again, we deliver. And uh, whether it's a miniseries or a limited series like Big Little Lies, or whether it's the, The Night Of, or whether it's an expansive hour drama like Westworld, quality.
1: You've been CEO of HBO for five years? That's correct. Has your strategy changed over that time, and what are you most excited about going forward?
0: Look, the North Star for me and for our team when we started five years ago um, was to build optionality for our consumers. So we knew that at the same time we had to continue to invest in our content, which is the heart and soul of our company, and we needed to make sure that we were creating programming which was gonna resonate across our subscriber base and beyond, we knew that we had to build a multilateral distribution system. The dig against us when we announced it in, uh, in the fall of 2014 is A, you have no tech DNA, so can you do this? And B, even if you can do it, won't it cannibalize your core business? And the answer to the first was, yes, we can. And the answer to the second was, no, it didn't. So that's what we've been focusing on. The proof in the pudding at the end of this year, as I said to you earlier, is we're on track for our biggest year uh, in in our history, in our 45-year history, in the most competitive ecosystem that we have seen. At the same time, the other part of the North Star is, are we working with the talent that we want to work with so that we can create a panoply of content? Across a wide range of categories, by the way, for some people, they're coming for our sports programming and for our documentaries. Some people are coming for a couple of shows. Some people are coming inside that John Oliver or Bill Maher is what they're addicted to. The point is, when we get people inside the house, they can experiment look at our library, look at the quality of our original programming, watch any number of our first-rate Hollywood movies from Warner Brothers, from Fox, from Universal, from Summit. And we know that if we get people inside, they are going to realize this is a tremendous value. And what you have in here is the curation of excellence, which with a lot of clutter out there is particularly meaningful. So that's the strategy we've executed on the last decade. And... um, We want to put our foot on the gas, invest more in content, more in marketing, explain to the consumer with our partners how much value and how dynamic this product is. If we continue to do that and continue to deliver, we continue to grow, not just here, by the way, but all over the world.
1: Shifting gears, Richard. Uh, Hollywood and the media business has a real problem right now. And of course, I'm talking about the sexual assault accusations against powerful people, powerful men in the industry like Harvey Weinstein, like Kevin Spacey, like executives at Amazon. Why does this seem to be hitting the media business and what can be done about it?
0: Well, first of all, um, obviously, it's all uh, repugnant behavior and it's unconscionable and I think cultures need to have a very clear zero-tolerance policy that everybody knows about. You know, cultures are kind of overly uh, uh, trumpeted and talked about, but they are crucial. And everybody knows inside an institution what behavior is tolerable and what behavior isn't. And sometimes there's a tremendous amount of willful ignorance uh, about behavior in different environments. You hear things. Somebody wrote a column the other day, uh, David Leonhardt of the Times, actually was referring to an experience he had as a young journalist at his prep school. And he said, we heard things then and as a young journalist at my school, I didn't write about it. And he was saying that has got to stop across the media. And I think you, if if there's any silver lining to all of these horrible stories that we're hearing, um, it is making it very, very clear that zero tolerance is the only strategy that can be tolerated inside, not just our business, but across professional environments throughout the the country and throughout the world. So I think you will start to see behavioral change because of this.
1: Is there something in the media
0: business that's that's different? I don't, I think, you know, unfortunately, sadly, um, I think you're going to see stories in myriad other businesses and
1: industries, not just the entertainment industry. Okay, Richard Plepler, chairman and CEO of HBO, thanks very much for coming Pleasure, Pleasure, pleasure. Thank 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 you. you. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.